Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice and a few words on the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. It's been a few days now since we all learned of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, lawyer before that, pioneer of the law. And I want to offer a few words about the justice, her life, and the kind of person she was. I, I know that there's been a lot of talk about her death, the timing of her death, of course, and the nomination that will follow by the time you hear this. The president may have made a nomination. There may be hearings going on. There may even have been a vote, given how quickly things are moving. And boy, there's hot feeling and outrage all over the place about this. I don't want to talk about any of that. You can hear it elsewhere. You can read it everywhere. I want to talk a bit about Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a person, as a lawyer, and as a sage, not just of the law, but of people. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as many of us have heard, uh, was a law graduate uh, decades and decades ago, before it was common for women to be in the top echelons of the legal profession. She came to Harvard Law School with her husband, Marty Ginsburg. The two were famously devoted to each other. And then graduated from Columbia because uh, the couple moved to New York for Marty to take uh, a job there. And graduating from Columbia Law School, at the very top of her class, Ruth Bader Ginsburg could not land a law firm job. And what's so interesting to me about this, not just about those facts, uh, I mean, no law firm would hire her. I mean, would they hire a woman at all is one question, but a woman with a child, and she was, by then, she was a mother. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, come on, women with children, they, you know, they're not going to be available 24 hours a day. They can't really do this job. And she got nothing, despite her phenomenal grades and recommendations from Columbia Law School. She did not take this lying down and didn't go around feeling sorry for herself. She took her lived experience, something we're very fond of talking about these days, and turned it into something else entirely and changed the world while doing it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not being able to find that law firm job, instead went into the academic side of the legal profession. She took a job as a professor at Rutgers Law School, famously hid her second pregnancy so that she could maintain her job there because even the legal academy wasn't terribly uh, favorable and open to women and women with children at that time. And she used her time as a law professor and as a lawyer to become the singular advocate of her time for women's equality and gender equality generally. She is the one who, taking that set of experiences she had and saying, I am, I'm not standing for this, she went 
and crafted the, the, the strategy that allowed for the opening up of not just the legal profession, but all kinds of things to women on an equal basis. She basically created gender equality as we now know it uh, with, uh, with, with her legal strategies and her advocacy that came out of her going into teaching. Um, this was uh, a person who was uh, a giant of the law just in that one decade and a half of her legal work doing this task. It is no exaggeration, I don't think, to say that she was the Thurgood Marshall of women's equality under the law and gender equality. Now, she would be the first to tell you, uh, well, she actually borrowed from Thurgood Marshall's strategies uh, in, in creating racial equality under the law, Brown versus Board of Education. She would be the first to tell you she was not alone. There was a whole team of people. There were other people, other people in the lead too. But make no mistake, she was the giant figure. She was the moving force around which so many others worked. Uh, so when I say she's the Thurgood Marshall of women's legal equality, I think the comparison is quite good, quite apt. Now here's the other thing that I want to take the time to say about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, she knew something about people, and she knew something about working with people and living with others. Um, I came across, um, after she died, the weekend after she died, I came across the reprint of an essay that was published in 2016, uh, adapted from a book she wrote uh, that year, published that year. The book was titled, um, My Own Words. And uh, this essay, uh, was a, a great source of comfort to me after I had learned of her death. And there's a particular couple of paragraphs in here that I think are so telling. Um, you know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice Scalia, with whom she shared the Supreme Court bench while both were alive, uh, you could not imagine two more different justices in terms of their legal philosophy. I mean, Justice Scalia, famously the exponent of originalism, the idea of a dead constitution, not a living constitution, a constitution that meant what it said when it was ratified in the 18th century, and that's it. No changes, no reinterpretation in light of current modern mores, nothing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg could not have been more different on those scores. And Justice Scalia, a wonderful writer, but famously caustic, nasty even. I mean, I just love to show my students his opinions, be they majority opinions or dissenting opinions, in which he just takes a machete to another justice or a set of positions in ways that are really almost unthinkable and unheard of in the history of the Supreme Court. I mean, the Supreme Court is a place where words are measured, where there's a lot of politeness. Maybe that's why his opinions so often seem a breath of fresh air 
as well as just incredibly slashing and, and, and almost impolitic. Maybe it accounts for why he was not able so often to bring a majority around him. Well, that's got to be the subject for another day. So you could not think of a person more different than Ginsburg, who wrote so cautiously and politely, uh, never without force. It was always quite forceful, but never like Justice Scalia. And yet, the two of them were the greatest of friends. They were the greatest of friends. They loved opera and famously bonded over that love of opera and went to the opera together and even appeared on stage together once in costume. I mean, not with speaking parts or anything, uh, but uh, just uh, appeared there as sort of special guests of the opera company. They show up at the Kennedy Center together, always recognized, of course. And, and you ask yourself, why? You know, how did this happen? Well, here's a clue, and it's from this essay. And let me just read you these two paragraphs. Here we go. And and I'm quoting directly from her, and then she quotes from somebody else, as you'll hear. Another often asked question when I speak in public. Do you have some good advice you might share with us? Yes, I do. It comes from my savvy mother-in-law, advice she gave me on my wedding day. Quote, in every good marriage, she counseled me, it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. I have followed that advice assiduously, and not only at home through 56 years of a marital partnership non-pariel, I have employed it as well in every workplace, including the Supreme Court. When a thoughtless or unkind word is spoken, best tune it out. Reacting in anger or annoyance will not advance one's ability to persuade. Now think about that. Think about that. Think about her as a lawyer first, as a justice, of course, trying to persuade a Scalia or a Kennedy or somebody who might, you know, say an unkind or thoughtless thing. She's going to tune it out and not react with anger or annoyance She's going to work on it and try to persuade. It was why she got so far in so much of her legal work. I mean, as a lawyer, the things she accomplished before going on the Supreme Court would be the envy of any lawyer as far as the the legacy, the career in just those few years. But she did so much more in her life. But this advice obviously is not just about being a good persuasive lawyer. It's about being a person, a good person, a good marriage partner, a good friend, a good colleague. And it's this that I think is just as valuable a lesson that we can get from Ruth Bader Ginsburg as anything she did as a lawyer, as anything that she did as a justice. And those accomplishments, I don't mean to diminish them. They were monumental. She was a giant. But as a person, she was a pretty big thing too. And we've lost something very special with her death. That's it. That's this bonus episode of Criminal Injustice, Remembering Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg.
You can always come to our website, that's criminalinjusticepodcast.com, for all of our interviews and our news bonuses and other features. You can also help support what we do here by going to patreon.com slash criminalinjustice. I'm David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time. <laughs>